and welcome to Highly Strange with Lewis and Sarah. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I've been awake for about 45 minutes. I, <laughs> I slept through all of my alarms. She slept sl- through <laughs> all of the phone calls. Slept through all of the door knocks and the bell rings. <laughs> I essentially ended up breaking into your flats <laughs> and waking you up in your doorway, which was a yeah horrible Luckily, time. We have like the old man key box that's normally like <laughs> to let your carer in. <laughs> <laughs> so it all worked out in the end. So Sarah's just about with us. Yes. Which is good because before I start this episode, I'm a huge fan of air crash investigation. Sounds fun. I believe it's, <laughs> I believe it's called Mayday in America. It's like the same program, but they have like an American narration. It's called Mayday, but okay. that's all the same footage. In order to tell this story, I'm going to go into quite a bit of in-depth aviation. Aviation with Lewis. I was going to say, I literally wrote, welcome to aviation with Lewis. <laughs> I do promise there is a highly strange aspect You've, to this story. We've done aviation with Lewis, haven't we? With the missing flight? Didn't you do that? I don't think I've done that. Oh. I think you're imagining it. This is definitely the first aviation with Lewis. I feel like you've done it. Okay. I don't think I have. Did you not do the missing the aeroplane and just like vanish? No. Oh. <laughs> no, this is my first aeroplane story. There you go. Maybe I've just looked into the future. <laughs> that will be coming up in the future. Right. You ready to go? Hit me with them hard aviation facts. <laughs> <laughs> In April of 1972, Eastern Airlines became the first carrier to take delivery of the brand new Lockheed Martin L-1011 TriStar. The L-1011 was the first airliner capable of flying on autopilot from takeoff to touchdown. That's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Lockheed even boasted that it could fly all the way across the United States without the pilot ever touching the control column. In some respects, the L-1011 surpassed not just every airplane that came before it, but all those which have come after it as well. But to the dismay of Eastern Airlines and Lockheed, the learning curve for this new technology would prove to be steep. One of Eastern Airlines' inaugural L-1011 routes was Flight 401, a regular service from New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport to Miami International Airport. In the days after Christmas... The flight was often filled with New Yorkers looking for a midwinter getaway in warmer climes. And certainly, this was the case on the 29th of December 1972. The flight had been fully booked, filling the spacious cabin nearly to capacity. But in what would turn out to be a stroke of luck, at least 65 prospective passengers never made it to the airport due to the wintry weather snarling traffic. When the flight finally departed New York, there were only 163 passengers and 13 crew on board, well short of the expected number. In command of Flight 401 that night were three pilots, Captain Robert Loft, First Officer Albert Stockstill and Flight Engineer Donald Repo. They were joined in the cockpit by an Eastern Airlines maintenance specialist, Angelo Donadeo, who would... He sounds like a... (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle. Turtle yeah. <laughs> that literally sounds like they took like a bit of all of their names and made one. <laughs> Angelo Donadeo, who would ride along in the jump seat, and an off-duty pilot who was elected to sit in the cabin. The 55-year-old Captain Loft was a veteran pilot who had been flying for decades. 
The other pilots were not inexperienced, but none could hold a candle to Loft, who had nearly 30,000 flying hours. That experience only counted for so much, however, as none of the pilots had flown more than 300 hours in the new L-1011s. Flight 401 departed JFK Airport at 9.20pm, climbed to its cruising altitudes and headed south towards Florida. The flight was entirely routine, except in first class, where a passenger proposed to his girlfriend. She said yes. I don't think I'd like that on a flight. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? (laughs) Like cabin. (laughs) Oh, whoa. (laughs) I thought that was your joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was good. (laughs) A couple of hours later, the L-1011 commenced its approach to Miami. With First Officer Stockstill at the controls, Captain Loft ran through the approach checklist, followed by the landing checklist. The weather was clear and they had the runway in sight. A safe landing seemed imminent. So like a lot of flying is like checklists. They have to go mm-hmm. through checklist after checklist to make sure everything's like they've done everything. This, this is when the problems began. Okay. Oh, Lo- like with the checklist? No, not with no. the checklist. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Loft attempted to lower the landing gear, a press of a button, but the light that indicates the landing gear status as lowered was not illuminated. He attempted to raise the gear up and put it back down again. Still, the light remained unlit. It would be imprudent to land without the nose gear light illuminated because its absence could indicate a problem with the locking mechanism that might cause the gear to collapse on touchdown, which is not good. They would have to circle the airport until the light came on or until they were able to visually verify the position of the nose gear. Flight 401 entered a holding pattern at 2,000 foot above Miami International Airport. Strangely enough, Eastern 401 was not the only plane approaching Miami that night with a possible landing gear problem. National Airlines Flight 607 had also reported a similar issue but was unable to resolve it, prompting the airport to roll out a full emergency response in case the plane's landing gear collapsed on touchdown. The air traffic controller had his hands full dealing with this emergency and was paying little attention to Eastern 401. So we're starting to see the threads unravel at this point. Mm-hmm. We've got 401 who's having trouble with the lights. So they don't know if their nose gear's down. Meanwhile, the air traffic controller is not paying attention to this flight, to okay. 401. Meanwhile, in flight 401's cockpit, flight engineer Don Repo chimed in with a suggestion. You want me to test the lights? He asked. At the flight engineer's station there was a button that would allow him to perform a so-called Christmas tree test, (laughs) illuminating every light in the cockpit to determine if the bulb had burnt out. Which is amazing. Like, if you see, like, the inside of a cockpit, how many lights and buttons, like, thousands. Repo flipped the Christmas tree switch, and all the cockpit lights came on, except for the nose gear light. Uh, Bob, it might be the light, said Stockstill. Could you jiggle the light? (laughs) It's got well, to come out real technical now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Have you it, tried turning it on and off? <laughs> that's essentially what he did at the start by lowering it and then be like, yeah. no, put it back up and down. It's got to come out a little bit and then snap in, Repo suggested. Loft and Stockstill set about trying to pull the light out and put it back in to see if they could get it to turn on. 
even with the knowledge that the bulb had failed, they didn't feel comfortable landing without a positive indication that the nose gear was down and locked. After all, if they had landed without knowing the nose gear position and the gear collapsed, how would that look in the subsequent safety report? So, like, what I've found in my vast experience watching air crash investigation <laughs> is that pilots do a lot of things no under the fear of like a safety report afterwards yeah, that their job yeah, will be yeah. in danger if they do something wrong which i could totally understand why which but, is right yeah. yeah although it was inconvenient there was one way to confirm the position of the gear without relying on the light bulb beneath the cockpit floor was the avionics bay a cramped room colloquially known as the hell hole which could be accessed via a hatch in the cockpit floor Captain Loft. That's like, can you imagine like being on that flight, like hearing someone be like, "Have you checked out in the hell hole? Have you gone into the hell hole? Like, yes, I'm going into the hell hole." As that passenger, you'd be like, "The what? Sorry." <laughs> I think what's actually scary is that all this stuff's happening, and the, the passengers have no idea. No, no, yeah, yeah. Captain Loft decided they wasted enough time messing with the bulb. He turned around and said to Repo, "Hey, hey, get down there and see if that damn nose wheel is down. You better do that." <laughs> At this moment in time, the plane was safely in a holding pattern held by the state-of-the-art autopilot system, and the pilots were fully preoccupied with this faulty light bulb. At least they thought the plane was safely being held by the autopilot. When Captain Loft turned round to tell Repo to check the landing gear, he had unknowingly pushed on his control column with his knee, with just enough force to disengage the autopilot and hand over manual control to the pilots specifically the handling of altitude. Christ, okay. So basically the control column, it's like a joystick, goes left to right for like your heading, Mm -hmm. up and down for altitudes, or like forwards and backwards rather for altitudes. So pushing it lets them, disengages the the autopilot without... So I see. So okay, it's doing yeah, yeah. it on its own, but if you grab it and push it, it'll pull it yourself. Like it autopilot cancels. Yeah, yeah. But in that one specific direction, so it don't cancel all the autopilot. So pushing it up or down will affect just the altitudes. So the autopilot's yeah. still doing the heading, if you know what I mean. Jesus. Okay. But they haven't clocked on. No, bec- because the autopilot's not fully disengaged the autopilot light was still on the cockpit, so they didn't realise, which is one of the things that came out in the report, that that's a terrible design for. Yeah. It, if it's semi-disengaged, there should be a light to show that, rather than it's saying it's still on. God. Okay. So the pilots didn't notice that they were gradually us- losing altitude at that point. An alarm it's went... I know. <laughs> it's fucking scary. An alarm went off in the cockpit to indicate that the plane had descended more than 250 feet below the selected altitude of 2000. No one noticed, still preoccupied with the faulty light bulb. The situation at the airport with the other plane having difficulties had been resolved and the previously distracted air traffic controller contacted Flight 401, who had now noticed the flight's altitude was only 900 feet. The controller called Flight 401 and asked, Eastern 401, how are things coming along out there? Loft replied, unaware of the impending disaster. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'd like to turn around and come, come back in. This self-confident reply was enough to convince the controller that the altitude deviation was nothing more than a radar glitch. Eastern 401, turn heading 180, he said. So, but the... 
so could like the guy that like buzzed into them see that they disengaged that no, one part? No, he no. he doesn't see that. All he saw was the altitude and the heading and that sort of thing. But did he not think to like specifically go? Is everything all right? Because it's showing that you've got crappy altitude right now. Well, apparently also at the time in the 70s, this specific air traffic control area, they was suffering with some glitches with the system because it was a new system. So had a few bugs and one of the bugs would show like incorrect altitudes. Right. So when he asked the pilot, is everything going all right? Okay. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We'd like to come in. He just assumed, oh, it's a glitch, glitch. which is a terrible yeah. glitch. And you think you would try to get sorted as yeah, soon as possible. But I just feel like you would go, oh, okay. Because I wanted to specifically check in because it's saying here. You're only 900 above. feet above. Yeah. And then that hopefully would have made the pilot go, oh yeah, shit. Oh yeah. Christ. Yeah. Well, actually I disengaged that part. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But instead he's obviously just like, you good? This yeah. is the 1970s, the era of plane crashes. Because you get all the new technologies coming in. And obviously, like, this brand new state-of-the-art system, like, the pilots aren't experienced with it yet. So, yeah. as Stock still entered the new heading into the autopilot, he happened to glance at his altimeter, which for the first time he noticed that something was wrong. We did something to the altitude, he said, sounding confused. What? Loft asked. We're still at 2,000, right? said Stockstill. Lofts caught sight of the altitude, rapidly ticking down towards zero, and exclaimed, Hey, what's happening here? The radio altimeter emitted a series of chimes as Flight 401 closed in on the ground. Loft pitched up and reached for the throttles, but it was too late. At 11.42pm, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 slammed into the Florida Everglades, ploughing into the swamp at 227 miles per hour. Jesus. I can't even fathom speeds like that. As in like, it's one of those things where you look at planes up above and think, it's going really slow. Like, like five like, miles an hour. But they're going like 500 <laughs> yeah. miles an hour. The fuselage disengaged and huge chunks of the L-1011 tumbled through the shallow water spewing debris and passengers out into the darkness. Waves of fuel washed through the cabin, followed by the searing heat of flames. Finally, the mangled wreckage ground to a halt amid the mud and sawgrass, leaving a trail of destruction stretching for several hundred metres. Are we at daytime or nighttime? This is at night. It's pitch black, oh, 11.42. God, yeah. It's only illuminated by, like, fire. So this And, like, that water's got to be... Cold, cold. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know that's muddy, like the least of your worries in that. Full moment, of alligators. But... <laughs> yeah, you're in Florida. Yeah. So this next part's a bit, um, bit grisly. Okay. So listeners, if you've got like a sensitive disposition, stop eating. Stop eating. <laughs> Get off the plane. <laughs> Many of the passengers were killed instantly, and those that did somehow survive were thrown out, some over a hundred meters from the crash site across the pitch black swamp. Passengers whose seats landed upright were mostly okay. Those who were not as lucky and landed headfirst became stuck and drowned to death in 15 centimetres of water. Oh, my God. While some... Because they just were, like, still... Still, like, stuck stuck in your seat. In your seat, upside down, headfirst into the swamp, which, like, was only 15, 30 centimetres deep, you know. That's mental. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you can't take your mouth and nose out of the water then yeah yeah 
While some horribly injured passengers flailed in the biting sawgrass, others walked off mangled chunks of the plane without any injuries at all. One survivor even recalled standing around with other passengers, all totally unharmed, discussing their respective careers as though nothing untoward has happened. In another area, a flight attendant stood atop the wreckage of the tail section and tried to calm people in the swamp by gathering to sing Christmas carols. What? (laughs) Well, I I understand, like, it sounds crazy, but one, you're trying to keep the morale up, everyone's in shock, and I suppose it also works as a way of, like, drawing attention, we're here to, like, any prospective rescuers, if you know what I mean. But really, you're just waking up the alligators, and I know for a fact that they hate Silent Night. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) They're right on Scrooges, those alligators. Also, if I was horribly injured, like, the last thing I'd want to hear is someone singing, like, A Christmas Carol. I'd like to know specifically what carols it was. (laughs) I don't have that information, I'm afraid. I think, I'm trying to think of, like, what would be the worst one to hear in that moment. Probably something like Wham last Christmas. Wham, that's not a Christmas carol. It's a Christmas song. I can't think of actual carols apart from Silent Night. It's pretty much only Silent Night, isn't it? And then it and like, I like, wish you a Merry Christmas. Yeah. No one's having a Merry Christmas here. No. First Officer Stocksteel died upon impact, but both Repo and Loft survived the initial crash. Repo was rushed to hospital, but later succumbed to his injuries. Loft died at the scene before rescuers could reach the crash site. When rescuers did eventually arrive, they waded into a hellscape. All around them, people were screaming and crying, bodies stripped of their clothes, and in some cases limbs, lay strewn amid the scattered pieces of the plane. The rescue proved difficult, as the plane had crashed nearly 13 kilometres from the nearest road, but emergency vehicles were eventually able to get within 100 metres of the site by driving in single file down a flood control levee, which doubled as a helicopter landing pad. Kind of like the um, the beaver situation. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get to it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they should chuck some like, rescuers out of a plane. Amid the mayhem, it took 64 minutes for the first survivors to be airlifted from the crash site and the last weren't evacuated until well after three in the morning. So that was like, what, four hours? Stuck in this freezing cold swamp in the darkness? And like, just they're surrounded by like, bodies. Dead bodies, yeah. yeah. And you've got jet fuel and fire. Initially, 79 people survived, as well as a dog which was the first victim to arrive at Mercy Hospital in... So we've already lost, like, over 100 then? Yeah. Wow. Because didn't you say it was, like, 180-something? 176 on board. Right, yeah. So pretty much 100. Over the following month, two more passengers also succumbed, as many of the survivors fought deadly gas gangrene infections caused by bacteria in the swamp water. God. Those who could not be treated in hyperbaric chambers were forced to have the affected body parts amputated. Of the 176 people on board, 101 died and 75 survived. The death toll was at the time the largest in the United States in an accident involving only one airplane. The swampland, which caused such difficulty in recovery and further medical problems, 
was ironically probably the only thing that saved the 75 survivors, as it acted as a kind of soft landing for the plane. So you would rather land in swampland, which is covered in trees and water and mud, than you would on the side of a mountain. Yeah, yeah. The final report deemed the cause of the crash to be pilot error. It turned out the landing gear was actually locked into place and it was indeed just a burnt-out light bulb that distracted the cockpit crew. Wow. So that's, that's it. All It was just caused by this one light bulb that wasn't working and all three people in the cockpit were just hyper-focused on this yeah, one yeah. light bulb rather than watching that their plane is just going down and down in a circle. Because it was gradual, you know, and by the time they realised, it was too late. And um, did you say one pilot is already dead the, and uh, one is... They all died, oh, eventually. Okay, one died instantly and the others died later on. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. The remains of Flight 401 would eventually be salvaged by Lockheed Martin and Eastern Airlines, who repaired some parts to be reused and refitted into other L-10s, 11s in production. <laughs> the look on Sarah's face. That's absolutely wild to me that they managed to get pieces of that plane and thought, yeah, you know what, we'll use that again. Yeah, that's quite common though, isn't it? Apparently so. It's wild to me. I didn't realise that that is something that happens Yeah, you would think it's like, no, you cut your losses on that one. That that plane is (laughs) no good. While like plane crashes are quite rare, and I don't know if that would happen nowadays, to be honest. It might have been back in the day that that happened more. Yeah. But the idea that you're on a plane which has pieces of a plane that previously crashed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, nah, nah, I'd rather a brand new piece, please. It's like when you like see those pictures and people are like, oh, there's duct tape on yeah, the wing of my on- plane. And yeah. you're like, surely, surely we're not like holding it together with a bit of a broken pane <laughs> and a bit of duct tape. Well, I think Eastern Airlines might regret reusing these pieces. Oh, God. Okay. As weeks and months passed since the incident, and these salvage parts from Flight 401 found their way into Eastern Airlines' fleet, weird stories started coming to light. We're finally here. This is a paranormal podcast. We're getting to it. It's now 1973, a year on, and at JFK International Airport, an Eastern Airlines flight was boarding for its trip to Miami. This particular plane, (laughs) N31AEA... happened to be fitted with such salvage parts. Boarding that flight was one of Eastern's vice presidents. Oh. As a VIP passenger, he was allowed onto the aircraft first and made his way to the first-class cabin. As he moved towards his seat, he noticed a company captain in full uniform and went over to have a chat. During the ensuing conversation, he suddenly realised he was impossibly speaking to Bob Loft. Okay. The apparition quickly disappeared, and the vice president rushed off to find a crew member. So, just to clarify, Bob Loft was, was one the of the pilots. pilots yeah. Yes. Okay. He rushed off to find a crew member, terrified that it could be an omen that something would happen to this aircraft. God. A search of this plane was carried out before any other passengers boarded, but there was no sign of the mystery captain. And did that vice president know that it was a plane made with... I don't know if he would have been aware that specific plane he was getting on had okay. some parts. A but few... he did know that Bob Loft was a pilot. Yeah. And that specific pilot. Okay. Yeah. A few months later, back at JFK, 
A crew boarding the same aircraft were surprised to see Loft already on board. They apparently chatted to the ghost, not realising who he was, before he vanished right before their eyes. The flight was later cancelled as the crew were too shaken to operate. On board the L-1011, flight engineers would usually arrive at the aircraft before the other crew to carry out their pre-flight checks. This particular day, a flight engineer was stunned to see an Eastern Second officer already sat in his seat. He immediately recognised him as Don Repo, and the apparition said to him, You don't need to worry about the pre-flight, I've already done it, before disappearing right before his eyes. Oh, don't eyes. trust him to start with. <laughs> but okay, so we've got two out of three. So that was the engineer. Some weeks later, another captain was checking the instruments before a flight from Miami to Atlanta. Staring him right in the face was the unmistakable outline of Repo's face. The captain claimed he distinctly heard the words, There will never be another crash on an L-1011. We will not let it happen. Again, wouldn't trust... (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't trust that. During a flight from Atlanta to Miami on board N318EA, the same plane as before, (laughs) the flight deck crew were enjoying their meal as they cruised at 39,000 feet. Suddenly, there was a loud knocking coming from the hellhole. Uh-oh. By now, the ghostly stories had been circulating around the company, and the crew were reluctant to look. But the knocking continued, and as the flight engineer opened the hatch, he was horrified to see the face of Don Repo staring back at him. Honestly, fuck all this. That was... And I'm like, Repo, Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Don Reaper. I think the thing with, like... A no- a, like a normal haunting like a normal ghost if it's in a big place you can run away yeah, when you're on a yeah, plane yeah. you've got nowhere to go you are now stuck on this plane presumably with ghosts I feel like sorry for the ghosts as well because they're like, stuck on the plane yeah, as well forever and that isn't even just a plane for them that's like your workplace yeah they're stuck in their workplace <laughs> constant loop of just like the same flight same checklist yeah yeah It wasn't just flight crew that witnessed paranormal activity aboard this particular plane, however. On one occasion, several caterers loading N318EA for its next flight were seen rushing off the jet and refused to get back on. When asked why, they all stated they had seen a flight engineer stood in the forward galley before vanishing right before their eyes. Passengers also reported strange occurrences. A woman sat next to an eastern pilot who she said looked ill, called a stewardess only for the pilot to disappear. Another lady summoned a crew member as she was concerned about the unresponsive pilot sat next to her. The man once again disappeared, leaving the passenger hysterical. But also as like a passenger, wouldn't you be like, why is the pilot sat next to me? <laughs> Sometimes, like a lot of pilots use like flights as like a taxi between airports. Yeah, that's true. So they'd be at that airport. They need to Especially, fly a plane I from another one. Those flights where they are like state to state. Yeah. After the incident, the passenger was shown a picture of the two pilots, confirming it was indeed Bob Loft and Don Repo. These stories were starting to become a bit of an issue and were being swept under the carpet. Although the airline had point-blankly refused to believe the spooky stories, the sightings were all reported to the Independent Flight Safety Foundation, who later commented, The reports were given by experienced and trustworthy pilots and crew. We consider them significant. 
Eastern. What, what are you meant to do with that, though? Like, I know. What can you do? Well, um, there, you can take get, like a priest on board. Yeah, get the planes exercised. <laughs> I don't know. Eastern went on to warn employees that they could face dismissal if they were caught spreading the ghost stories. So that's it. Like, can you talk about this? You're out. You know. So that's how they dealt with it. That's how they tried to deal with it. Stop telling everyone. <laughs> However, you can only keep stories like these quiet for so long. And well, for- and like, you can't keep the passengers quiet. No, that's it. But I suppose their idea is that no, no one listens to passengers because they're passengers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It wouldn't take very long for more stories to come out. Flight 903 had just taken off from JFK en route to Mexico City. Stewardess Faye Merriweather was in the galley preparing the meals for the passengers. As she reached for the handle of the oven door, she was horrified to see the face of Don Repo staring back at her. So this is like... On a completely random flight? This is not... No, this is the one on a plane. Oh, sorry, we're still... I don't know if it's that same plane or another plane, but this is the most famous example from this story. Okay. This is what... I thought you might have heard of this. I haven't, no. Being a ghosty person, no. No. Guess I'm just not an aviation person. No, you're not. (laughs) Somehow not absolutely losing her shit, she briskly went to get another stewardess and the aircraft's engineer to come and take a look. When they returned, Repo's face still stared out from the oven, although now it looked like he was trying to say something. Suddenly, all three clearly heard the apparition mutter the words, Watch out for fire in this plane. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not going to lie, like, if you just, like, saw a face in the oven... I'm sort of like picturing, um, you know, like the Red Dwarf computer, where it's yeah. like just the head. <laughs> or was it from Power Rangers, Gordon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I guess he was quite cold in the swamp. Yeah. Now he wants to get a nice toast. And the, the, plane, the plane was quite hot. <laughs> so the flight reached Mexico City safely, but on the return leg, problems began with the starboard engine. After an inspection, the aircraft was cleared for takeoff, but as the plane climbed away, the engine failed and backfired several times. It was quickly shut down before it caught fire and returned to the airport. Thankfully, no one was hurt during the incident, but the crew were understandably very shaken after what they had seen in the oven door. As it happens, that particular flight was fitted with, you guessed it, the salvaged oven from Flight 401. No! <laughs> Which one is like incredibly creepy, but two, it's amazing that they found the oven from the crash plane and thought, you know what, we'd probably save a few quid and we use that. God. You know what I mean? As the sightings became more and more frequent, rumours circulated that pilots and crew refused to fly in the L-1011s that had parts of Flight 401 fitted. Paranormal investigators requested numerous times to be allowed on board to see if anything could be recorded but the airline would refuse every time, which is a shame because I really wanted to see leather-clad Yvette Fielding and Derek Cora <laughs> talking to a plane's oven. <laughs> or Zach Bagans in there, yeah. <laughs> They'd put like a pizza in the oven and be yeah. like, if you're here, cook the pizza, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Light up the one with pepperoni or the one with pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts don't like pineapples and pizzas. They've <laughs> yeah. spoken. Finally, the debate is over. 
Despite continuously denying any paranormal activity on their fleet, Eastern Airlines would eventually remove every piece of the salvaged Flight 401 from its planes. Which is weird, because they said, no, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and then they quietly took all the parts away. And that's the only reason they wanted everyone to keep Sturm, isn't it? It's yeah. because they didn't want people to be like, sorry, you're, you've built this plane out of a crushed plane. Yeah. It wasn't even like they didn't want people telling the ghost stories, was it? It was, yeah, that leads you to knowing that they just recycled the parts of a plane crash. And this also does ultimately come from wanting to save money. Yeah. yeah so yeah. capitalism strikes once again. Whilst the ghosts of Bob Loft and Don Repo were never seen again, their promise to let an L-1011 crash again came true, as there was never another incident leading up to Eastern Airlines' eventual closure. So yeah, taking those parts from the plane did actually work and there was never like any ghost seen again wow the story gained international coverage when john fuller released his book the ghost of flight 401 in 1976 two years later a quality quality tv movie with the same <laughs> name was released i would thoroughly recommend it it's on youtube go and watch it after listening to this You've seen it. It's okay. got a great scene with that, the ghost head in the oven, and it's exactly like what you said it is. <laughs> Finally, there were reports of activity happening in the area of the Everglades where the flight went down. Okay. For months, hunters, poachers, and wildlife enthusiasts started reporting strange unearthly sights and encounters around the crash site. Quote, he looks serious. This is a, this is an intense quote coming your way. <laughs> I was just frog gigging when a face looked up at me from below the surf. <laughs> a woman's face screaming up spooked me silly. <laughs> Never been to that place since that moment. Around here, we do our best to avoid that area. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I'm so sorry to everyone from Florida that listens. For months well, and years. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. No, it was just, was was that your Floridian <laughs> I want to know what there? frog gigging is. Frog gigging? I guess he's catching frogs. Yeah. <laughs> For months and years after the crash, the area became a hotbed of supernatural activity. Strange lights started popping up around Wait, the swamp. Was, how close was the uh, Loveland frogman? <laughs> oh, you know what? <laughs> oh... <laughs> Spectres peered from the gloom into the awestruck eyes of hunters. Things swam below the surface of the swamp. Things dressed in rags and tattered clothes. And that, my friend, is my very first ghost story. Wait, I finally did a ghosty one. I think it's super interesting because it leads into the stone tape theory where like items then hold on to the yeah, energy. Yeah. And obviously in a traumatic event like a plane crash... That energy would be held so onto energy, pieces of yeah. that plane, you know? Yeah. What do you think? It's good. It's, I really like as well that when the stories are, because one of the things that you struggle quite a lot with, with like ghost stories is, you know, like if it is a house, then like the next family move in and it's like, oh, they saw nothing. And yeah. Like their experience was entirely different. Whereas yeah. obviously this is, multiple staff multiple passengers on multiple flights yeah. and then obviously then just other people in the area so not even on a flight then all still saying the same stuff similar encounters mm. 
interesting as well that they like physically heard them talking because you don't that's quite that rare yeah. yeah in hauntings whereas obviously they and again more than one person wasn't it because yeah they were told about the fire one and that was like three people standing there and yeah. they all heard the same voice yeah and mm. i think it's interesting because obviously air Air, um, Eastern Airlines didn't tell anyone they removed the parts so as soon as those parts were removed like there was no ghost sightings anymore but no one knew those parts weren't yeah. there anymore so that sort of proves that people weren't making there was it no, up like, in a way there was no effect yeah. to it yeah well and I think it's oh, it's not surprising that that area of the swamp would then also be affected by it yeah you know yeah yeah that really really doesn't surprise me but because I think you know, like sometimes even if you just walk around like a church graveyard, there's an energy yeah. to just that area. And it's the energy of like that other people have mourned here and, you know, like that, I guess, sad energy, like you can feel it. So it doesn't surprise me at all that then you would feel like traumatic energy of like that swamp. Yeah. That's good. It's got everything you need in it. <laughs> massively detailed aircraft <laughs> crash report yeah but I'd great fun going through that bit to be fair we needed the crash report we did need we needed the context the trauma that all this happened just because they were too busy looking at a dodgy light bulb and the plane was brought down by a dodgy light bulb essentially it's crazy they're like you know like when the light comes on in your dashboard in your car and you're like ignore it oh, it's probably that the the light is broken not the actual <laughs> engine <laughs> and then it's like you can't do it with a plane though it's no. interesting as well that like that flight weirdly wasn't at capacity yeah it's it was weird how those things work sometimes it was l so lucky you know I mean, if those people was on it, there could have been another 63 people dead. Yeah, that's you know? what I mean. It's funny how, like, sometimes... Because you do hear that a lot, don't you, of people's, like, I was supposed to be on yeah. this journey, whether that's in a car or a plane or whatever, and then, obviously, then they go. But for some reason that day, I couldn't find my whatever, and I didn't make it in time. And then it's like, shit, if I'd have got on it, I wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. Funny. No, that was good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Thank yeah. You. And I, I really like ones where it is like, you've got the professionals, you've got what would be considered, you know, like very intellectual people to be like a member of aircraft crew. Yeah. So you've got that. And then passengers that, like you say, would probably like potentially not even be aware of the story no, they, of what happened, let alone that they were on a plane built with parts of that plane. Because th these occurrences were happening before 1976 when that book and then the film yeah. came out two years later. So these were happening before it was like widespread, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. before it was just sort of murmurs within the airline b between the staff. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because you like, specifically to be like, oh, that is that pilot, is it's like, even if you did know the story, what's the chances of, especially the passengers, what's the chances of that they knew that that was that, the pilot looked like that? Because obviously yeah. like that woman or whatever we showed a picture, wasn't she? And yeah. it's was like, oh yeah, that was that pilot. So what's the chances of that you like, 
know the story, know that you're specifically on the same flight path and that you're then on the plane that's got the parts and you know what the pilot looked like. Yeah. That's like that's it. very, very unlikely. Yeah. It's one of the strange you most documented as a as in like I suppose like anecdotal documented mm. ghost stories around. It's yeah. good. Very much enjoyed. Thank you very much. Go and watch the uh, TV movie. The yeah, Ghost Mike, of Flight Four Hundred One. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> really mid seventies TV movie production. Yeah, I, I can visualize. You can it. exactly tell what it looks like in yeah. your head. Lots of big hair and moustaches. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you can. Yeah, do you know what? If anyone listens and they're like a member of, um airline crew so like I would love know, to hear your any, stories yes even like stewardess captain whatever you are <laughs> we have no we have no pilots listening to this you never know we have no but, captains listening or to even this. if like you know you might just know someone that is a pilot or something if they've got a ghost story like please 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 it's a really share. interesting like little genre of yeah, ghosts I'd like to hear more of them so please share but because I also do think like could there be something more to like once you're at, up in that atmosphere? Like, could it be like easier to see an apparition and stuff? I wonder if it's like more prominent. I don't know. Somehow. But yeah, so please. Yes. Tell us, share your stories. You can email them, yeah, to at gmail.com and you can find, find us on Instagram, Instagram or Facebook. Instagram, I'll post some pictures of like the crash and that sort of thing and the pilots and don't forget to share with your friends yes if you like this share on your instagram stories we'll um we'll repost you yeah share with our big clout go and leave lovely lovely reviews because we very much enjoy reading them and they help us out so please do that as well yes we hope you have a wonderful week yes we'll see you next week see you next week bye, bye.